You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, here from New York City, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Katie Putz, The Diplomats Managing Editor and Resident Central Asia Expert. Katie, how's it going today? Going all right, I guess. Well, welcome to 2021. Uh, That's both for you, Katie, and for our listeners. Uh, It's a brand new year, and uh, we'll certainly have a lot to talk about on the Asia Geopolitics Podcast this year, um, especially with a presidential transition just around the corner in the United States a continuing pandemic that continues to weigh on geopolitics around the world. Um, But today, uh, Katie, what I'm hoping to talk about is really what we just saw in Central Asia. I can't recall ever beginning a year with a podcast on Central Asia, but I think uh, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, both uh, with um, their various elections uh, this past week, have given us a good reason to zero in. So let's start by talking, uh, of course, about the background here. So so Kyrgyzstan just had a presidential, a snap presidential election, and Kazakhstan um, had a parliamentary uh, election. And we'll talk a little bit about the outcomes in both. Um, Kyrgyzstan, I think, being the slightly more interesting one to begin with. So why don't we start there, Katie? Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the background leading up to the SNAP election? Why did this election take place when it did? So uh, the the immediate cause for this presidential election, which took place on uh, January 10th, was the resignation of Soranbay Zhinbakov, the previous president of Kyrgyzstan, on October 15th. Uh, yes, October 15th. And his resignation was prompted by sort of this political collapse after the October 4th parliamentary elections, which were very swiftly annulled, um, and a whole bunch of government resignations uh, of the prime minister, speakers, uh, just all across the board, political chaos. Um, and amid that chaos rose a, a figure named Sadar Japarov, who had been in jail until uh, the protests after the sort of botched parliamentary election and very quickly and almost bizarrely was swept into power as prime minister. Uh, and then with his supporters in the streets, uh, pressured Jean-Bakov into resigning and took on the mantle of acting president mm-hmm. uh, for about a month. Uh, in Kyrgyzstan, it's uh, illegal for an acting president to run for president. So uh, Japarov resigned in mid-November so that he could run for president. And uh, on election day, the Results uh, came in and didn't necessarily surprise anyone. He came out with close to 80% of the vote um, and will be the next Kyrgyz president. Um, and that that has a lot of serious implications, I'm sure we'll talk about. But the other uh, election that Kyrgyzstan had on the 10th was a referendum. It was initially proposed as it was supposed to be a constitutional referendum on amendments to the constitution. It got boiled down to really just the basic question of what what government system do the Kyrgyz want? Do they want a presidential system or a parliamentary system? Uh, Almost 81% of those who voted, uh, voted for the presidential system. So there will be a follow-on referendum tentatively scheduled for March, which uh, presumably would be on a new draft constitution that reflects that choice of a presidential system. Uh, the last thing I want to say in this sort of opening bit is that turnout was really low. It was under 40 percent, um, but above 30 percent. Uh, 30 percent is the threshold for a referendum to be legitimate. There is no legal threshold for the legitimacy of, of the presidential or parliamentary elections, uh, but there is a threshold for referendums. Um, for sort of comparative, uh, for a comparative sense, uh, this election was just under 40%. Uh, the 
previous presidential election in 2017 that brought um, uh, Jean Bakov to power was in the, the mid 50s. I think it was 56 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was, it was definitely lower turnout than previous elections. And that I think at least um, does have implications for what kind of support we draw from that nearly 80 percent win, 80 percent of only 40 percent of the population who could vote. Right. Well, so, OK, so uh, so Japarov is president. We have a constitutional referendum around the corner opting for a presidential system in Kyrgyzstan and turnout was low. So taking yes. taking all of this together and sort of looking forward, Katie, I mean, what does this say to you about Kyrgyzstan's polity? Because um, traditionally, Kyrgyzstan has been the one sort of bright spot in Central Asia in terms of the way in which democracy functions and um, and just in terms of its its polity overall. Do you have a more pessimistic sense now going forward with these um, with these new developments? Uh, I de- definitely. I mean, the, the and, and this is maybe a reflection of the hype about Kyrgyzstan being this sort of shining democracy on a hill uh, to completely butcher the phrase uh, was maybe too optimistic in the past. And this sort of reflects conditions as they actually are, which is a, a deeply corrupted political system. Um, Japarov was in prison until like a week before he came, became prime minister. His rise was most certainly backed by somebody and the fact that it's very unclear who um, should should sort of worry us all um, who are sort of care, care who care about Kyrgyzstan's um, uh, future. I think uh, the other sort of the other answer to that question is that you know the the democratic outlook for Kyrgyzstan is really troubling, um, but the interesting thing about returning to a presidential system is it it hyper focuses all attention on one figure uh, of the five elected or the well four were elected but of, of Kyrgyzstan's five full presidents not counting uh, interim presidents three have been forced out of power uh, two through revolutions in 2005 and 2010 uh, Jean Bakov in 2017 uh, the other, <laughs> the other president is uh, Almazbek Atambayev, who is still in jail awaiting retrial of his first trial, which had convicted him and then got overturned, and they're doing it again, um, and 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 another trial, and then you have Japarov. So the outlook for Kyrgyz presidents is never really good, um, <laughs> and and so I think, um, given the monumental challenges that remain that have nothing to do with Kyrgyzstan's politics. Um, Well, they do have to do with its politics, but the economy uh, is probably the biggest challenge. Um, If the president can't address that problem and and they switch to a system in which he becomes the center of that system, then all responsibility is going to rest for him. And there's no reason the Kyrgyz won't toss him out also. Now, all of this tumult is why Kyrgyzstan continues to have sort of these endemic um, problems that that sort of keep its economy at a pretty much broken state. Um, but the, the the polity is just very broken. And I think um, a lot of sort of the earnest Democrats in Kyrgyzstan who really believe in sort of the, the power of a democracy are just really depressed um, because they haven't been able to make good on that, that the promise that was Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, I mean, so also in the short term, I mean, are we, uh, you know, should we be expecting 
sustained popular discontent, protests. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, the turnout was low and this was a small percentage. But, you know, the government is going to present the referendum in particular as, I think, being, you know, widely supported, just given the percentage of folks that actually voted for it, even even if turnout was low. So how do you think that's going to play out? I mean, I, yeah, the the second sort of referendum, which is going to be on on a draft constitution, uh, a new a new constitution, I think is going to draw a lot of attention, and and there remains the the potential of more more civil unrest of uh, Shaparov getting thrown out of power of of lots of things happening. I think all of those cards remain on the table. It's perhaps worthy of noting that it is winter in Kyrgyzstan now, and and which if you look at the timing of the previous revolutions uh, in Kyrgyzstan, they all happened in the spring and summer. Um, so I, I, I think there is definitely, I, I think Japarov has a short window of time to sort of make good on the promise of I can do this job uh, before both the referendum happens probably in March. Um, and then, um, you know, the people are going to want him to, to do that job. Another thing that hasn't been mentioned is uh, the parliamentary election that happened in October was annulled. So Kyrgyzstan is still sort of riding on the old parliament. New parliamentary elections are promised for some time before the middle of 2021. We don't have a date for those yet. Um, and depending on what the new constitution says about the sort of architecture of the government, we just don't know what the legislative part of the Kyrgyz government looks like or is, but um, that's something to watch and could be a potentially another sort of flashpoint um, I, I certainly am expecting more um, more protests in Kyrgyzstan, um, and and we'll and, and you know and there have always been a lot of protests in Kyrgyzstan in some ways, and then some of them sort of turn into these revolutions, uh, and then some don't. So uh, I wouldn't go so far as saying that Japarov will be thrown out of power, but statistically speaking, he probably won't serve a full term. <laughs> Right. Um, so we'll we'll come back in a moment to talk about um, the regional implications, if there are any. Um, but first, I wanted to just uh, switch bases and talk a little bit about Kazakhstan. Um, and this one, I think, was the more, you know, let's say predictable of, of the two uh, scenarios. Um, so, Katie, do you want to just um, give us a little bit of background for uh, the parliamentary elections and the outcome in, in Kazakhstan? What exactly happened? Yeah, so um, Kazakhstan had uh, parliamentary elections. They were held slightly early by like a couple of weeks, um, but they were notable because they were the first parliamentary elections since the resignation of Nursultan Nazarbayev that happened in March, 2019. Uh, and sort of the transition of the presidency to a, a new individual to Qasem Jomrat Tokayev, who, is the, who was then elected in June, 2019 to a full presidential term of his own. Um, Nazarbayev remains an incredibly powerful figure in Kazakhstan in a number of official and unofficial roles. One of his official roles is head of the uh, the uh, ruling party, which is called Nerotan. And Nerotan came out on top in the election. Uh, like you said, it's not a surprise. They secured 71% of the vote, which um, is going to translate to 76 seats out of uh, 107 in the lower house of the parliament. Um, the In the previous parliament, Nerotan had, uh, what is it? They had 84 seats. So it's technically they lost a few seats, um, but overall 
Nertan continues to run run the run the show. Uh, there are two other parties that clear the threshold to make it into the parliament uh, party called Akshol, and then the People's Party, which until November 2020 was the Communist People's Party, and they are going to have 12 and 10 seats respectively. They each had seven in the previous parliament. Um, I don't think that these sort of small number changes really reflect all that that much about the popular will. All all of these parties are pro-government parties. Um, and for, for those who are doing numbers, uh, there are nine more seats in the in the parliament, but those are all appointed by this um, sort of representative body called the Assembly Assembly of the People, um, which is intended to make sure that the many ethnic groups in Kazakhstan are also represented in the parliament. Its members are appointed by the president. So these are essentially nine more narrow ten seats. Um, and so the election itself, um, whereas in Kyrgyzstan had very low turnout, the, the Kazakh authorities claim turnout was in the in the 60s. Um, and there were a number of small demonstration and protests in various cities in Kazakhstan. Um, some of the most dramatic scenes were in Almaty, which is the, the largest city in Kazakhstan in the, the former capital. Um, and these were not dramatic in sort of the loud sense, but in the sense that there were these, these videos of groups of maybe a dozen, two dozen protesters being completely surrounded by police who just stood in like a wall around them for hours. They weren't allowed to move from the spot. The temperatures were freezing. They couldn't leave to go to the bathroom. They couldn't leave to get food. They were literally just kettled in the middle of a street. Mm. Um, and so, uh, and there were a couple of instances of observers um, and journalists being denied entry into polling locations. Um, but by and large, it was a, as the OSCE says, a very well-run election with no competition. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I think, what we'd come to expect. So, but overall, I mean, you know, here, here, I guess, looking forward, there's more continuity to be expected in, in Kazakhstan. I mean, is that, is that generally right? Yeah, I mean, and it, it, there was there was never there was never going to be an upset. Uh, there were no new opposition parties allowed to register, even though last year the uh, the state uh, went through some political reforms. For example, lowering the threshold for registering a, a new party from forty thousand to twenty thousand members. Still, nobody was was really able to clear that threshold. There were no new parties. There were no um, new sort of voices. All of the the five parties that did run were pro-government. Um, the one uh, legally registered sort of nominally opposition party boycotted the election. Um, going forward, the most interesting thing will be to watch who is appointed to where, because these sort of uh, really like chess moves um, in terms of appointments and positions, that's the, where the real politics occur in Kazakhstan, sort of at that elite level. Um, and we don't know quite how all of that's going to roll out yet. Um, Narrow 10 released its list of se the 76 deputies it's going to send to parliament. And on that list is Dariga Nazarbayeva, who's the daughter of the of Nursultan Nazarbayev. So that's, again, not surprising, but is sort of a person to watch for, for a number of reasons. Um, and so we're kind of, those of us watching this unfold are waiting to see what those appointments are um, and then kind of trying to read the tea leaves of, of what they mean. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Katie, as we come to the end of our discussion today, uh, I just wanted to ask you to reflect a little on, um, I guess, the outcome of both these um, recent elections in, in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan um, and, their, and their possible effect on 
regional stability in Central Asia, uh, if 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 at all, if there are any consequences, I think that's um, a little clearer in the case of Kazakhstan, where, as you said, we are expecting more continuity. Uh, but also on uh, you know how um, how states like uh, Russia and China, especially, who do have strong interests uh, in this region, um, view these outcomes. What's your uh, what's your take? So I, I think it's uh, it's not really worth talking about Kazakhstan in this respect. Um, really, it, like you've said, it's continuity. So all of Kazakhstan's partners are getting out of this process exactly what they previously had. Um, there's no there's no upsets there. Kyrgyzstan is more interesting and I think has always concerned its neighbors for sort of this this uh, political volatility that it has and, and really the... Um, um, and so countries like Russia have been watching very carefully the process in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, Vladimir Putin congratulated uh, Zhaparov on on his his victory. Zhaparov, in his like first speech after uh, after winning the election, um, sort of talked down uh, the rumors that he's just going to become a dictator. Um, but he used uh, the line, you know, we're going to have a dictatorship of law and justice, which is borrowing directly a phrase from president from. Uh, President Putin. Um, so I, I think there's going to be more synergy in that Kyrgyzstan-Russia relationship, and, and the Russians are pretty happy with the outcome. Um, I, when it comes to China, I haven't actually looked at what uh, the Chinese government has said about this process, but I, I can can assume they congratulated Shaparov on, on the election, just sort of the normal uh, tone of, of relations there. Um, they're going to be watching and concerned um, on Kyrgyzstan's economic sort of state. Uh, Kyrgyzstan has 1.8 billion in loans to the Exim Bank of China that are going to be coming due um, and, and has been asking China for more time. Um, so there's going to be some tough negotiations there in terms of loan repayment and deferrals, um, which I think is going to make Japarov's nationalist um, rhetoric kind of difficult to maintain while also possibly having to sell off some some assets to to the to the Chinese in terms of sort of mining rights or things like that. Um, one interesting facet that we're going to need to watch both because there will be a new administration in Washington next week and um, and this sort of turn of events in Kyrgyzstan is the US Kyrgyzstan relationship is I think going to be headed for some more friction um, and you could see this almost immediately the the Embassy in Bishkek um, congratulated the Kyrgyz people on engaging in the election and recognized Sadr Zafarov on his election, but did not congratulate Sadr Zafarov. And I went back and looked at the statement that was issued after the 2017 election in which um, Jean Bakov won, and that statement directly congratulated um, Jean Bakov. So there is a change in sort of tone mm. there. Um, and and I, I think there is potential for friction. The embassy in Bishkek, the U.S. Embassy in Bishkek had, uh, during the October um, political unrest, had pointed out that there were criminal elements sort of involved in all of this political machinations, and, and that was definitely a veiled reference, reference to Zhaparov and, and sort of his backers. So I think that relationship could be a little bit awkward, especially if the Biden administration comes in with, as it, as it, it I think many people expect it to, um, with a greater focus on democracy and human rights and, and sort of the more traditional um, sort of handbag that the United States used to carry around in Central Asia that under the Trump administration was definitely not a priority. Um, so I, I think there's 
Kyrgyzstan, um, while I don't think its regional relationships are going to change necessarily, I, I think as the affairs stand now, the United States is probably not super happy about the turn of events and Russia is definitely happy about the turn of events. Got it. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me on this first podcast in 2021 and sharing your insights on Central Asia. Thanks a lot. As always, it's a pleasure. Great. And uh, for listeners, uh, please, uh, if you like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you leave us a review on uh, any of your preferred podcast outlets. And if you uh, haven't yet subscribed, uh, please do so so you you can keep up with future episodes. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with more.